0: To be here as a church, and thank you very much to OCC. I think Emmanuel, we ought to say thank you properly to our host. Thank you very much. And uh, we thought it was really biblical. You know, we had no, we had nowhere to go at, at New Year, nowhere to go at all, and uh, we couldn't get our venue. So our first thought was, I wonder if our friends at OCC would let us pile in with them. And uh, you were very warm and welcoming. So thank you very much for that. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's great to have fellowship together, particularly at the beginning of a year, uh, and uh, to enjoy one another's churches and church life. Uh, thank you for praying and uh, for leading us this morning. As you'll see, if the PowerPoint comes up in a moment or two, I want to speak for the remainder of our time about two different characters that we find in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs. And uh, they're not exactly titled Mr. Lazy and Mr. Busy, uh, in the Bible. If you look in the book of Proverbs, you'll find them under two slightly different names. That is, they're Mr. Sluggard and Mr. Diligent. Uh, two guys that are mentioned in the Bible a lot. And the Bible's really clever because it tends to kind of compare these two guys all the way through the book of Proverbs. It kind of contrasts them as they go. And I felt it might be helpful at the beginning of a new year for us to think about some of the differences between. Mr. Lazy and Mr. Busy, or Mr. Sluggard and Mr. Diligent. Because inevitably, at the beginning of a year, I guess, we all uh, start thinking about our hopes and aspirations and goals for the coming year. Uh, about this time uh, of year, I tend to think about things that people have said to me over the years. And In 1979, Christmas Day 1979, one of the gifts my parents gave me was this little autograph book. We used to get gifts like that 30 years ago. You know, sad as it is, you can't plug it in, doesn't have batteries, doesn't got an LCD screen, hasn't got a hard drive, doesn't make you fitter. Nothing, it's just paper and a book, and you used to get people to write things in. And on Christmas Day 1979, my mum wrote this in my autograph book. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better best. So what my mum wrote in my autograph book 32 years ago. And I guess as we start thinking about uh, Mr. Diligence and Mr. Sluggard, some of the kind of truth of what my mum was trying to instill in me as a 10-year-old boy, some of you are doing the maths, uh, has kind of got worked through in scripture as well, that there are these kind of role models in scripture, like Mr. Diligent, that if we apply ourselves to godliness in the way that he does, the way it's described in Proverbs, then our life will be fruitful and productive and upright or righteous. So I want us to look in a minute or two at some of the problems with Mr. Sluggard and some of the attractions with Mr. Diligent. And we could look at over 20 references in Proverbs to kind of understand these two guys, Mr. Sluggard and Mr. Diligent, a bit more. But I just want to read two that kind of summarize all of them, really. The first is in Proverbs 24 and verse 30, where it says this I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere, the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. And then Proverbs 13, verse 4, says, The sluggard craves and gets nothing but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So I want us to really rattle through the kind of the problems with Mr. Sluggard. What does the Bible say about laziness and Mr. Sluggard? First of all, we're going to go through these quite quickly because time is short. He's not a bad bloke. First thing we can say about Mr. Lazy or Mr. Sluggard is he's not a bad bloke. It's not that his actions are evil. It's just that He often doesn't have any action at all. It's not an issue really of wrong action, it's more an issue of inaction. The IVP's Dictionary of Biblical Imagery says, the composite biblical portrait of the sluggard is drawn so fully that the figure emerges in our imagination as a particularly loathsome one. Yet the figure is essentially an empty shell, a kind of non-entity rather than an assertion of active evil. Mr. Sluggard isn't a bad bloke. It's not what he does, it's what he doesn't do. Secondly, sadly, he seems to be in the majority. Mr. Diligence is the rarity. Mr. Sluggard, it seems, is far more common. And the difficulty with living in society is that we become uh, easy uh, followers of the crowd. And if you look in the crowd, often you'll find... Those that are more sluggardly, maybe, as the Bible says, those who aren't really exerting themselves for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God to be advanced, but really sitting back, folding their arms. Thirdly, he could never be accused of being over-ambitious or driven. That's one of the benefits of being Mr. Sluggard, is nobody is going to misunderstand you as a bit over-ambitious or driven. Nobody's going to worry about your blood pressure. Nobody's going to worry about your work-life balance. You know, for Mr. Sluggard, they aren't the kind of concerns that are going to come along. It says in Proverbs 6, verse 9, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Proverbs 26, verse 14 says, As a door is on its hinges, so the sluggard turns on his bed. It's amazing, we must be aware, mustn't we, of the kind of inner laziness that can creep over us, even as believers, by stealth, under the kind of the camouflage of desiring a quieter life. You can find out sometimes, well, I'm not driven, really. I don't want to get too driven, I just want a quiet life, I want to walk humbly with God. It can sound quite noble, can't it? But it can sometimes be, by stealth, a blanket of laziness and passivity that can come over us fourthly he's great at making excuses and he gives up really easily Mr. Sluggard says in Proverbs 22.13 the sluggard says there is a lion outside or I will be murdered in the streets that's why I'm not going to do anything so I'm going to stay in bed and like a door on its hinges I'm going to flip and when this side goes to sleep and I get pins and needles I'm going to flip over to this side because there's a lion outside. You can meet people like that, can't you? You say, well, I would do that if, if only the risks weren't so great. You know, this year I would really go for that, but really it's not really me and I don't really want to push it. We've to be careful that we don't get overtaken really by a passivity that the Bible doesn't really link with those who are following God passionately. Mr. Sluggard has some very well-rehearsed reasons why things aren't going to go his way. He's maybe a victim of circumstance. He's never been given the chance. He's undervalued, he's overlooked, he's not responsible, he's unaccountable. Everything will change tomorrow. Mr. Sluggard is the master, if you like, of procrastination. Manana, manana, tomorrow, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Another one of the problems with Mr. Sluggard is this. He never achieves big because he rarely achieves small. There'll be another problem with him. It says in Proverbs 20, verse 4 the sluggard does not plough in season, so at harvest time he looks and finds nothing. You know, there's a law in the Bible. It's called the law of reciprocity what you sow, you reap. And it's fascinating that Mr. Sluggard still goes to his field at harvest time and looks. He walks in and says, "Well, I wonder if the crops are coming, knowing that he's never ploughed and he's never sown. And again, we can meet people like that, can't we? They kind of do a self-audit. They look at their lives and think, I wonder, am I growing? Am I maturing? Am I progressing? Oh no, I'm not. Well, I must be a victim of circumstance. I haven't been given the right opportunity. I have been overlooked. He say, no, hang on a minute. We can't make excuses. Mr. Sluggard is great at that. He doesn't plough in season... And he doesn't have a harvest at harvest time. It says in Hosea 10 and verse 12, Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Another would be in the New Testament, the parable of the talents, where we have to be faithful with a little also with worldly wealth. The Bible teaches that if we're faithful with a little, God will give us more. Another problem with Mr. Sluggard is he lacks self awareness. It says in Proverbs twenty six sixteen the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer more discreetly. Laziness is a difficult issue to confront. It's tricky to detect in oneself. Laziness can be one of the hardest things to diagnose when we do a self-inner audit. It takes real courage to face up to that kind of feedback. So he lacks self-awareness. It's a very tendency to make excuses, to procrastinate and to have reasons why things don't happen, make it difficult to confront So Mr. Lazy or Mr. Sluggard is up there in Proverbs, listed with all of his failures. Now, the Bible's tendency is to link the life of God and the people of God with a different character. Amen? Amen. Hmm, Thank goodness for that. And he is called Mr. Diligence. Now we're going to go through in a similar fashion the kind of the attractions of Mr. Diligence. And I want you to sit under these kind of bullet points as we go through them on the first day of a new year. And as we go through them, pray, God, let that be so in my life, okay? Ready, number one. He often says less, yet achieves more. That would be one of the teachings about Mr. Diligence, is he is one of the guys where actions definitely speak louder than words. He wants to uh, kind of beat the reoccurring weakness of the sluggard or the fool, that's often interwoven, those two titles, where they often say too much, too quickly, promising the earth and delivering very little. So what you find with Mr. Diligence is that he will quietly go around his business, he'll answer with discre- discretion, he'll display prudence and understatement. Secondly, he will make a decision and stick with it. it says in Proverbs 21.15, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. Proverbs 20, verse 18, the diligent make plans by seeking advice. Unlike the sluggard, Mr. Diligent does plan to plough his field, and he does it. He does plan to sow his seed, and he does it. And when Mr. Diligent then goes into the field to check whether his crop is growing... It is growing. He can see green shoots coming through. Now we can find examples in the world of people who have displayed great diligence in this regard by having a plan, even a modest one, and sticking to it for a lifetime. When we moved to Oxford, Wendy and I bought our home uh, in Cowley. And uh, we were thrilled. The house next door, which is a semi detached house, the house that we're joined to, was empty for a year. And we'd pray from time to time and pray that God would uh, really bring great neighbours that we could be friends with. And a great neighbour moved in. A family moved in. And I uh, got chatting to him once. And uh, I was washing the car. And uh, I said to him, So, what do, you, what do you do? He said, Well, I'm retired. I was a postmaster, uh, but I retired recently, and he said, I tend to put most of my time now into our houses. So I said, houses, what, what, what houses are they? He said, this is the 15th house that we have bought in Oxford. So I was kind of glazed at this point, point. 15 houses. He said, yep, we started in 1985, and we bought one, and then we had a mortgage and bought another, and as we've been able to, we've just, and we've let them out, and we've now got 15. So I said to him, you've got to tell me how to do this. <laughs> like, how, how did you do that? He said, we just made a plan. We just decided that's what we're going to do, and we stuck to it. So he said, make a plan and stick to it. That's the only advice I can give you. I thought, man, that's incredible. This guy, modest guy. I mean, you wouldn't know... He had anything. At that time, he had a a kind of a 20-year-old, rusty Vauxhall Cavalier, and he had been a postmaster all of his life, and yet owns 15 houses by having a plan and sticking to it. I grew up in a family business, and uh, my grandfather started it immediately after the Second World War. And uh, I can remember once, in 1988, we had horrendous snow one winter. And uh, the snow was was drifting uh, literally to 10, 12 feet. Some of you might remember that. And uh, this is down in Sussex. And I can remember our family home was uh, on the kind of the campus of our family business. And every morning at 7:30, my dad would go and unlock all of our workshops and let all the employees in and unlock the offices. And I can remember getting up early with dad and the excitement of looking out the window and there was like deep snow everywhere. And uh, at that time, one of the first employees uh, on site every day of his life for 40 years was one of the storemen that we employed as a family called Jack Sandals. And Jack Sandals prided himself on never being late in 40 years of employment, ever. So whenever you'd go to unlock the uh, workshop and get in, Jack Sandals would be there ahead of you. You could never be there earlier than him and uh, that morning dad and I got out and we opened the back door and I can remember digging a path from our back door through to our business just in the same campus as I said and there was Jack Sandals Jack and he had left that morning he said I I looked out the window during the night and I saw that it was snowy so he said I left at 4.30 this morning and I walked in he said I haven't been late in 40 years I'm not going to start now See, that's Mr. Diligent kind of thinking. Where you make a plan and you stick to it. You don't say, there's a lion outside, or I'll be murdered in the streets, or it's really heavy snow. You say, no, I've made a commitment. And I'm going to see it through. Next would be, Mr. Diligent proves trustworthy and therefore is often given responsibility. It says in Proverbs twelve twenty four, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Isn't that amazing? Diligent hands will rule. Responsibility, governance, leadership always gravitates towards those who display authentic diligence, which is seeking to put God first in everything. Make a plan, attend to life with a commitment. Even though Mr. Diligence is a quiet kind of chap, his lifestyle and actions usually become recognized and rewarded. I remember once asking the owner of the business I worked for for 11 years after our family business finished. I went and worked for another company and uh, the owner of that business wasn't a Christian himself, although his parents were. Uh, He really all looked wherever it was possible to employ Christians. So whenever through the years, I was with him for 11 years, whenever we made a adverti- you know, an advertisement for a new staff member, he was always excited if a Christian applied. And more often than not, the Christian would get the job. And I remember saying to him once, why is it that uh, there's kind of an unusually high number of Christians working in your company? Why do you do that? Why me? Why others? And I remember he said, because they're usually more honest more punctual, and more hard-working. For me, it's just a business pragmatic. Because he could see that Christians were living out a kind of a Mr. Diligent set of commitments. That even if they were kind of modestly employed, they would give themselves wholeheartedly, punctually, striving to honour God in their work. Okay, move on. He said, he's also grateful for what he has. Says in Proverbs twelve twenty-seven, the diligent man prizes his possessions. The contrast is Proverbs thirteen four. the sluggard craves and gets nothing. So he's grateful for what he has. Gratitude is a very, very appealing attitude. You know that? Gratitude. We recently did a whole Sunday at Emmanuel on gratitude as a hallmark of God's people but it's kind of the default position for Christians because God has treated them so kindly that believers are constantly grateful finally ultimately he is seen as upright with an unhindered highway through life if you study proverbs that's so often how Mr diligent is described you could say it's all right for mr diligent he always lands on his feet he always comes up smelling of roses everything's all right for him he has no hassle you know life just seems to open up before him yeah it's called the blessing and the grace of god a guy called cj Mahaney, an american pastor he said when people ask me how i'm doing i always say this better than i deserve because that's what the grace of god does to us isn't it The grace of God gives us permission to say we are doing better than we deserve because we've got God on our side. And God is kind to us as his people, isn't he? He provides for us. He opens the way for us. We're so grateful to him for that. So principles for a diligent life and then we're going to finish and pray. And all of you from Emmanuel who felt I could never preach for 20 minutes need to repent and ask for God's forgiveness. (laughs) because I'm going to do it. We might have 30 or 45 minutes of ministry time, but that's okay. We'll just... Principles for a diligent life. You ready? If any of you are making notes, you might want to scribble some of these down. Except that you do have a decision to make at the beginning of this year. You are not trapped in your personality. Diligence is not linked to high-energy, high-capacity cap- Extroverts. Diligent, striving to live for God and put him first, to commit to things and make a plan with your life is not limited to a few. It's for all of God's people. Ultimately, as I said a moment ago, laziness or sluggard is linked with unrighteousness. Mr. Diligent, Mr. Busy, is linked with righteousness and the righteous people of God. All believers have God's permission To be Mr. Diligent. And to give themselves fully to him. Secondly, stop making excuses. There is no lion going to eat you. And no one will murder you for being more diligent. Basically, diligence won't kill you. Every one of us can really strive to stretch ourselves in God and for his glory this year. There's no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit within us helps us gravitate towards that more and more. Thirdly, believe that you are living every second for Christ. It says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not men. So wherever you work, whether you feel yourself to be undervalued, underutilized, kind of modestly employed, whether you feel yourself, whatever your circumstances, whether you're stretched, whatever, whatever you turn your hand to in 2012, do it with all of your heart as though you're doing it for the Lord primarily and not for men. Next, follow the Bible's pattern of a fruitful, diligent, hard-working life. There's no getting away from it. If you read the Bible, the Bible paints Mr. Diligence into every hero of scripture. Even if they don't begin that way, like a Gideon, they end up that way. Sanctification has the kind of the way of producing in us much more of Mr. Diligence as Mr. Slugger disappears into our history, our old self. Next would be achieve big by achieving small. Lots of people I find kind of can sit paralyzed, waiting for something big to happen, forgetting that often God's looking for incremental steps along the way. People, particularly believers, who believe God's got a calling on their life, you can find them kind of cross-legged, sitting, humming in the lotus position of life. God's called me to be an apostle to the nations. You say, okay, that's fantastic. What's the journey from today to there? It will be serving, giving of yourself, aiming to help others, being a blessing wherever you are. I remember once an old preacher, I was brought up in a brethren assembly called Emmanuel Chapel, funnily enough. It's where I came to faith, it's where I was baptized written in my little book I saw this morning. I was baptised on the 16th of May, 1982. Written in my autograph book. And uh, Dad and I were taking an an old preacher called Mr. Dyer home to his house one evening after he'd preached at the Gospel meeting. And I remember my dad said to Mr. Dyer, Mr. Dyer, what advice would you give to young Matthew? What advice would you give to him for his life? I remember thinking, oh, this should be interesting. Mr. Dyer said, And he's a real country guy. He said, well, like a tree, Matthew, wherever you're planted, blossom. Wherever God plants you, make sure you blossom and produce fruit. At the time I thought, how funny is that? But here I am. I guess that's 35 years ago, probably. And I can still remember it, and I'm telling you. So like Mr. Diligent, we want to be those that achieve big ultimately in the purposes of God because we're willing to serve in ways that appear small along the way. Stretch for more would be the next. Make priorities, break it down into achievable goals for the year, build in accountability, review it regularly, celebrate your successes, confess your failures. If you want to grow in 2012, get serious about it early and ask others to be accountable and to help you be accountable. Next, stop following the crowd. Other people's lifestyles of laziness should never validate ours. We're going for a different model altogether. And finally, ask God to help you as you seek to give your year to him fully. Amen? Okay, let's stand. Can I pray? That would be great. Thank you. Father, we want to thank you for your kindness to us as has already been prayed. We are so grateful to you. We want to thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way that you have mentored and coached us to be more like the Lord Jesus through the last year. We thank you for that. Thank you for every step of progress. We thank you for every answer prayer, every act of obedience, every time we decided for you and not for ourselves. And we pray for many more of those progress moments during this coming year. We do pray, Lord, for this simple word this morning. We ask you to really help us to believe you for more from our lives during this coming year. I do pray for fruitfulness in our churches. I pray for a blessing on this Oxford Community Church and their related churches through the county. I pray you would be with them and bless them and prosper them, progress them, grow them. We ask for that. Father, we pray for Emmanuel. We pray that you keep your hand on us too. Father, we do ask you that we would have the joy, all of us, of seeing many come to faith this year, begin this ultimate transition from unrighteous to righteous, from unfulfilled to fulfilled through Christ. We ask you for that. So Lord, we do commit ourselves to you again, and we ask you to really drill deep into us the kind of lessons that you want us to learn today. I do pray that we'd shake off any passivity, sleepiness, laziness in our lives, be it spiritual or practical. Lord, we do want to live fully and righteously for you. I pray for that. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you'd begin to challenge those who need challenging ask you for that. Holy Spirit, I do pray you would bring conviction. We receive that as a friend. The kindness of God, pointing out stuff to work on. We say, Lord, please show us. And we do pray for kind of earnestness and zeal in breaking free of any passivity this year. We do pray we would strain into the things of God with real passion and fervour this year. And we pray for that together in Jesus' name. Amen.